Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Crystal Knight Show brought to you by Newsweek. Today, I'll spend much of the time discussing what happened in the midterm elections. Today is Thursday. We're two days out from the midterm elections, and there are a number of races that are still yet to be determined. But there's some good news on the heels of Democrats. So I want to start off by talking about the red wave that wasn't. Many pundits, many news outlets said that Democrats were going to be in a bloodbath, a red bloodbath, because there was going to be so much Republican winning that, you know, we haven't seen this in midterm cycles before. And actually, Democrats held the line. And right now we are poised to either take over the Senate or hold the Senate depending on what happens in Arizona and Nevada. And now we know that the Georgia Senate race is going into a, a, a runoff with Raphael Warnock, the incumbent, and Herschel Walker, the Republican candidate who is actually fighting pretty hard to win this race. But thankfully, the race goes until December the 6th, where voters in the state of Georgia will decide ultimately the fate of the Senate and the fate of who becomes the next U.S. senator from the state of Georgia. But one of the things that was really surprising to me that there were so many House candidates who actually beat out their challengers or flipped seats from red to blue. One of them notably was in Colorado where a major Trumper, a election denier, Someone who has been very, you know, outspoken about the GOP and in, in opposition of Democratic politics is House Representative Lauren Boebert in this in Colorado, the state of Colorado. She lost her reelection. And um, that is a signal, if not any to the GOP about this Trumpism and what Trump really means for the GOP. You know, there were others who just outright rejected this Trump rhetoric. We can look at the win in Pennsylvania between Dr. Oz and, and Fetterman. Fetterman won the U.S. Senate race there handedly, handedly over Dr. Oz. And again, many folks had Oz up in the polls, him winning because of his alliance and his allegiance to former President Donald Trump. But what we know, not only with that race, but others, and Josh Shapiro became the governor for the state of Pennsylvania, is that voters are rejecting over and over this type of Trump rhetoric. It is not as a shoe in the bag as many folks probably expected. And now that, you know, Speaker or soon to be Speaker Kevin McCarthy will take over the House of Representatives, he will not be leading with a decisive majority. 
He will not be leading with all of the wins that the Republicans expected. He will likely have a very slim majority once all the votes are counted and once all the votes are in. At the time of this recording, it is still not decided who will be the um, Speaker of the House because we don't know where the races stand. There's still several outstanding races. Um, but one of the things that's also really important to note is that Democrats were set to avoid any net losses this year. And actually, we saw gains. We saw gains not only on the gubernatorial front. There were some key gubernatorial races that we did not win, but incumbent governors dominated. They dominated their races, and they were able to give voters in their, in their respective states a decisive majority. They won big. They won um, you know, really speaking to the issues that they most cared about. And there were some historic wins in the state of Maryland. Um, Wes Moore is set to become, once he's inaugurated, but he's set to become the first African-American governor in that state, in the state of Massachusetts. Um, they just elected the first woman governor and the first um, openly lesbian governor with Maura Healy. So these are big things. And in the state of New York, incumbent governor, um, Governor Kathy Hochul, she becomes the first woman governor actually elected. We know that she was installed after um, the Cuomo incident in New York, but now she has been elected. And again, there were polls that said that that was going to be a very, very tight race. Um, and there are still some outstanding gubernatorial races that Democrats should feel confident that those candidates will win in Kansas and Oregon, in Nevada, and even in Arizona, where that is a highly contested race, particularly because the opponent to Katie Hobbs has stated that if she does not win, she likely won't concede. And so those are things that really we are watching as the midterm elections and results continue to unfold. But one of the things that I really wanted to talk about today was just this, this talking point about democracy being on the ballot. We know that there are election deniers in this country. We, we only have to look at January 6th to understand how those election deniers really began to run for office after January 6th. And so it's really tragic that many of the people who were insurrectionists or who don't believe that Joe Biden is the rightful president, those were some of the folks who were on the ballot and many of them won. And so that's something that I think Democrats have to be nervous about as we look towards 2024 is that we have installed in this country. And when I say we, I mean the voters, we've installed a new crop of people who don't believe um, that if the results don't, you know, turn out in their favor, that they aren't real. And so what does that mean for state legislative bodies? What does that mean for secretaries of state or for county chairs and county commission seats? It means that once 2024 comes around and if the, the race does not go in the favor, really, of many of these GOP candidates, and if the, if the GOP candidate for president does not win, we could really face another January 6th-like attempt on elections in this country but that's something that we have to have a conversation about we have to 
realize is a serious threat to democracy. So when you hear folks saying democracy is on the ballot, those are the kinds of things that we're discussing. Also, you know, over the last six weeks, when I launched this podcast with Newsweek, I began talking about gerrymandering. That was the first episode with Katie Hobbs out of Michigan about what is happening in this country and how gerrymandering will affect the midterm elections. And what we saw on Tuesday, many of the GOP candidates that were winning, it really happened where districts were gerrymandered. Those districts were redrawn to give one particular party the advantage. And so when we see where GOP candidates won up and down the ticket, not only at the federal level, but in down ballot races in their respective states, one has to assume that gerrymandering played a significant role. Who was in charge of these state legislative bodies where candidates were either shoved into a respective district or a district was removed altogether? That is something that we have to continue to be on the watch for. Um, we also talked about, you know, my second week on the podcast, we talked about Trump and all of his legal woes and how they would affect the midterm elections. And we can see now that, you know, the results were not in Trump's favor. They absolutely were not. These were not results that the Republican Party was anticipating or expecting. I think people are slowly starting to move away from what Trump means and how his endorsement either helps or hurt in their respective races. If we think about what happened in Florida with Governor Ron DeSantis, he won handedly. Um, you know, Marco Rubio won handedly over Val Demings. And again, Many of those folks are, there are plenty of Trump supporters in the state of Florida, but people are slowly shifting towards a DeSantis-led GOP. And so that's something we should always continue to watch as well. When we're talking about the Trump effect, is it strong? Does he still have the GOP in a chokehold, which is something that I've said over and over again, is that people are so loyal to Trump. But I think what we saw with, you know, the midterm election results and the results that are still coming in is that people are kind of feeling like maybe Trump isn't exactly the leader that we need for this party. And that is really, really exciting to know. And I think, you know, moving forward, the third week, we talked about progressivism with former Ohio State Senator Nina Turner, and we saw progressives win up and down the ballot. We, we saw this happen in the state of Florida. There was a young Gen Z congressional candidate who won in the state of Texas. There were several black, young Gen Z millennial candidates that won in Ohio, even Amelia Sykes. Um, she won her race for Congress. And so there are so many progressive candidates who said, regardless of how the Democratic Party is on the whole, I am going to run on a message that will help my candidacy move forward. And they ran and they won. Um, we also talked about, we talked with Pastor Michael McBride about policing in America and the relationship between black folks and police, the relationship between Latinos and police, I mean, just black and brown people in general. And that absolutely was on the ballot. Many voters across this country said that they were concerned about crime in their respective areas. We, we hear, we heard, and we still hear 
the narrative about crime being really high in these democratically led cities. But what we know statistically is that crime is high in a number of cities that don't necessarily have democratic leadership, but we only highlight these urban cores. We only highlight the cities that where the media, quite frankly, gets to dictate the narrative around crime being high in a particularly um, urban city, a city that has a high African-American population and a city, again, that's being led by democratic um, mayors or leaders, if you will. And voters turned out and said, not on my watch, Um, particularly in L.A., um, there is a race that's still outstanding. The mayoral race is is not um, it hasn't come in yet. But Karen Bass, um, Congresswoman Karen Bass is on the ballot and she's fighting against a multimillionaire, multimillionaire. And one of the things that is key in her race Um, is crime, crime and homelessness, Um, because there are a lot of tent cities that have popped up outside of Skid Row in the Los Angeles area. And so crime is absolutely it has been and it continues to be an issue in this country. In addition to crime, many voters turned out around Roe versus Wade. We talked about Roe versus Wade on a number of different episodes, but Roe versus Wade and abortion rights, that proved to be something that drove people to the polls. We saw that turnout voters earlier in the summer when Roe versus Wade fell at the federal level of the Supreme Court. But in the state of Michigan, voters handedly decided that women still can maintain their right to choose what to do with their bodies. We saw it earlier in Kansas, but over and over again, this election cycle we saw where voters were really stepping up and going to the polls in support of their own right to choose or in support of women having the choice. And that is what's exciting. When we spoke with Jessica Cisneros a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the Latino vote. And that's something that I definitely want to and plan to explore in episodes to come about how Latinos have slowly continued to shift away from the Democratic Party. Now, there are plenty, you know, that, you know, showed up and showed out in support of Democratic candidates. But if we look at the race in Georgia, the governor's race in Georgia between incumbent Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams, one of the reasons that Stacey lost, in addition to white women and white men, um, were Latinos. She did not have a strong showing with the Latino vote. And if we look at the race um, in, 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 in Florida with incumbent Ron DeSantis going up against Chris, again, Latino voters are slowly shifting towards a more Republican way of voting and thinking. And I wonder if the Democratic Party is awake. I wonder if the Democratic Party is paying attention to how we message to our Latino constituents across the country, because one message doesn't fit every Latino. What we saw in the governor's race in Texas between Beto O'Rourke and incumbent Governor Abbott was along the border, which was very telling and interesting. Beto O'Rourke actually did really well, but 
he did not do well across the whole of Texas. And so he was not successful in his run for governor. But what does this mean as we think about the Latino base and how important and critical their vote is to either party? What are Democrats willing to do to pivot to make sure that we are building a coalition that they feel included in, that they see themselves in, where they feel empowered? And then finally, I started part of this conversation talking about the gubernatorial races and elections. We spoke with Wendy Wallace, who's the deputy executive director for the DGA, Democratic Governors Association. And I think the DGA is feeling good. They invested a historic amount of money into gubernatorial races this year and their results paid off. They invested over $50 million across a number of states, and they were able to reelect many of their incumbent senators in key swing states like Wisconsin, where Tony Evers has always faced a challenge. And one of the things to highlight about the, the race in Wisconsin, not only did Tony Evers win reelection, but the state legislative body, is, it, it has a Democratic majority now which is very important because state legislative members in the state of Wisconsin had already said if they were to take over the state house, they would do everything that they could to block Governor Evers' agenda, overturning women's rights, overturning a number of issues that the Democratic Party and the base cares about. And so when we think about how gubernatorial races will impact or can impact the 2024 presidential race, I think that the DGA has something to be proud about. I think the DGA has something that they can continue fundraising off of. And hopefully with these few outstanding races in Kansas and Oregon, among other states, they have something to look forward to because that work is important. It's not just about the Senate. It's not just about down ballot, but it's equally important that we are picking and choosing great Democratic governors to lead our states because they affect many of the legislation that's coming down from the federal level to the state level. And so I want to just say that, you know, this conversation today really crystallized what the red wave didn't do. Instead, it showed how Democrats really held the line. Democrats held their own in this midterm election. And I think that the Biden administration absolutely has something to be proud of, absolutely has something that they can move forward with understanding where voters really are and the issues that voters actually care about. I do think that the Democratic Party still has to hone in on a message that works. We have to play offense. We cannot let Republicans continue to walk in and define messaging and we just simply be responsive. We have to get out and talk about the things that work for our party. Talk about the things that are challenging under Republican-led leadership. But understanding today that if Kevin McCarthy does become the Speaker of the House, he does not have a decisive majority. We should already be messaging about that right now. We should already be messaging that if Democrats maintain or can get control of the Senate, that we plan to codify Roe versus Wade. 
that we plan to codify voting rights, that we plan to make sure that the democracy issues that have been under attack really get sorted out at the political legislative level so that when voters go to the polls in 2024, we don't face the same threat to democracy that we face in the 2022 midterm elections. And so I'm actually inspired by what has happened this midterm election. I also want to just note that I saw a lot of folks online saying, oh, the state of X is trash because the Democratic Party didn't win there. Well, you know what's trash is underinvestment in many of these states. What's trash is don't is the donor class deciding that they won't play in certain races. What's also trash is when we give money to grassroots groups that are on the ground doing the work and expect them to win when we've given them money 30 days out or two weeks out or three days out. That's what's trash. You know, when we adopt this this posture that when our party didn't win, we're just going to throw away a whole state. That's not fair. And when we adopt this posture, particularly what I saw online in Georgia was that black men didn't turn out for Stacey Abrams. They did. Black men did turn out for Stacey Abrams. They showed up and they showed out for her. And so we have to continue to change the narrative to make sure that what we're saying is actually true. We're looking at the exit polls. We're showing that the voters that are in the base, and I'm talking about the Democratic base, so that's black folks, that's Latino folks, and some white progressives, of course, but we have to name and say what is working for our party and what's not. And messaging is something that we have to work on. We also have to work on our investments into grassroots groups. We also have to work on our investments into black men. Since we love to complain about black men and what they do or don't do as it relates to elections, we have to ask ourselves as a party, how are we investing in this particular constituency? How are we investing in the Latino constituency that encompasses the Democratic Party? So I want to leave you with those words. Just stay encouraged, Democrats. We didn't do as bad as the media thought we would. We actually have a new marching order as we move forward. And I hope that, you know, the Democratic Party messaging machine is really listening and retooling as we move into 2024. We have a brighter Democratic future ahead of us than what we anticipated. And we should run through the tape with all of the legislative agenda items that this president wants to pass in the next two years, if we can. If we don't, we do face um, what we spoke about this election cycle with democracy being on the ballot, democracy being in peril. But we don't have to accept that if we have fighters in our elected offices, if we have fighters who are out on the ground, making sure that we are creating the democratic future that we want to see. And that's it for this episode of the Crystal Knight Show brought to you by Newsweek. Rate this show wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the other shows that Newsweek produces on its platform. I'm so thankful that Newsweek continues to have a progressive Democratic voice. And I look forward to speaking with all of you next week. Next week.